Welcome to Asia Gaming Briefs podcast series. With me today, I'm talking to Dr. Mario Hardy. He's the Chief Executive Officer of the Pacific Asia Travel Association. And we're going to be discussing some of the outlook for the year ahead in terms of travel flows. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So you have just put out three scenarios um, for potential for recovery and travel in Asia. A month into the year, which one do you think is the most likely to play out? You know, what one thing I've learned through this crisis is actually trying to plan for the long term is really challenging, really difficult, let alone even plan for, for the next uh, week ahead. Uh, things are evolving uh, on a daily basis, it seems, at the moment. But what we've tried to do is um, having a look at the past year and what is currently trending. And, uh, of course, vaccination is in play and uh, health passed and testing and a combination of different, different services that are actually now being deployed that will hopefully uh, help us start travel again in the near future. So based on all of this, we've, we've kind of made uh, different assumptions looking at three different scenarios, a mild, a medium, and a severe, severe being actually the worst case scenario, mild being actually the best case scenario. I, I would personally tend to believe that it's gonna be between the severe and the medium, somewhere in between these two. Um, simply based on the fact that over the last uh, five weeks, five, six weeks across the world, um, we've seen uh, second, third wave, fourth waves of different cases, uh, in, in many parts of the world, uh, and number of cases seems to be climbing at a much faster rate with new variants into play, which we have a lot of uncertainty around it. So based on these different factors uh, and the fact that the rollout of the vaccinations and other protocols is going to take significant amount of time, I would not necessarily anticipate mass traveling uh, in 2021. Still might be in a third and fourth quarter, uh, some gradual growth in terms of travel in different parts of the world, uh, but a very, very slow recovery. So if we've got another year without international travel, um, how successful do you think the domestic markets will be in making up for that gap? I, I don't think it'll ever make, make up to the gap. Uh, it does help. Uh, domestic tourism, certainly here in Thailand and many other parts of the world, uh, uh, including China specifically, where domestic tourism was already really strong before uh, COVID-19, is actually even grown in that, uh, in that, in that time in the past year, uh, specifically in China. Certainly here in Thailand, domestic tourism has also grown. Um, it only represented about 2.5% of GDP contributions from domestic tourism pre-COVID-19. So let's make the, an assumption that it, it doubled. Uh, it's still only 5%. And when we know that our GDP contributions from international travel is roughly in the mid 20%, 20-25%. Is there anything so, that can be done to get more money out of those domestic travelers or to boost that? Or is it just a case of waiting for the international travel to return? No, I mean, many destinations have actually started to focus more on domestic tourism and soon also in regional tourism when borders between certain countries open. But certainly for now, actually on the domestic side of it, there have been a lot of different campaigns by different countries. Uh, Thailand launched a program where they were giving credit to all citizens to encourage them to, to travel, uh, significant discounts and credits based on different locations they were going for, uh, both for uh, dining out as well as 
staying in hotel properties and etc. It certainly seemed to work. Um, uh, the partner for the government for the Tourism Authority of Thailand was Agoda, who processed all the uh, transactions. So they were extremely busy uh, during that period of time. So it certainly worked. Uh, Singapore did a similar program with their citizens uh, in a different way, but also encouraging uh, people to travel domestically, although it is a small city state, so there are still different parts of the city people can enjoy. Uh, staycation. Hong Kong did also something similar. Uh, and the Philippines is also, uh, they've seen their domestic tourism actually booming at almost the same, I wouldn't say the same level of international, but certainly on the spending side of it, they've seen significant increases. What about the potential of travel, travel bubbles? Um, we haven't really seen anything significant emerge as yet. Uh, are you seeing any no, that. Uh, there was a lot of hype with uh, the travel bubbles uh, before uh, before the holidays uh, several months ago. It was uh, something that every single destination was working on, trying to negotiate with different destinations. Some had started and, and, and sadly stopped. Uh, others were planned and never really took off. Uh, some others are still in discussions, but everything was pretty much altered over the last couple of months because of the resurgence of cases in so many different destinations. Um, so I suspect that over the next few months, we will see corridors being discussed again and some being started. The only challenge is, will they stay for an extensive period of time or will they actually shut down and start on and off again? And it will really depend on how the uh, governments are actually are, are implementing their various health protocols and border crossing protocols over the next uh, few months. I, I was talking to somebody else who also in the tourism field saying, well, don't just look at the headline numbers. We have to look at the value of the, the actual tourist, the quality of the tourist. Can you comment a little bit on that? <clears throat> uh, yes, uh, absolutely. This is something that we as an organization have been actually pushing for for quite some time already. And uh, just in the last 24 hours, I was actually speaking to the tourism ministers of the ASEAN countries and, in, and uh, recommending to them that we use this opportunity that we have at the moment to seriously rethink about measurements of success. Uh, and mainly because the way that we've measured success in tourism now for, for a very long time is how many visitors and how much are they spending? Those are the two, they're not the only elements that people measure, but they're the two main key components. I'm not saying ignore those, those are important, but we have to look at other, other aspects job creation, uh, contributions to the community, uh, the environmental impact also on the people visiting the various destinations. Other measurements of success needs to be actually integrated into a strategy for the future. Probably also management of capacity, something that we've also been encouraging for quite some time is understanding what is your maximum capacity? How many people can you or should you have in one location at a single time, uh, in measures of days or weeks or months or even a, over a period of a year, and then ensure that we widely distribute these tourists across the destination, either within the city, across the city, or province, or state, or even a country or a region in itself. And how do those um, capacity limits kind of um, measure up with the prior levels of mass tourism you were getting? Was there any indication of that yet? I mean, before it was, um, I don't know, as you said, mass tourism, anywhere, anywhere you can go as often as you want, and uh, the more the better. Uh, so countries measured, you know, I've, I've got X amount of millions of visitors this year, 
next year I'm going to project another increase of X percent, uh, and always, always focusing on how much, how many more can you get on a yearly basis. Well, I think this is where we need to take a step back and think about the capacity that a city, or, or as an example, can actually handle. Uh, we've heard so many times before how certain cities around the world where citizens are saying enough because we, we can't move around our city, we can't enjoy our city, which was designed for us to live in where we work in. And now we're invaded by so many other tourists who actually come. We appreciate the, contribution, the economic contributions they're making, but they're also making our life very difficult. Um, and in most instances, I, I don't typically uh, like the term over tourism as it's been way overused in some cases, but also because in a majority of times, it's a question of capacity management. It's not over tourism 365 days a year. It's over tourism over either a period of time or in a certain particular location. But if you go across in a larger, uh, broader aspect of the city or the country itself, you've got pockets where you've got too many and there's others there's not enough. So how can we better distribute these tourists across the destination so that we have a regular set of it, a regular income helping other destinations, smaller, lesser known destinations to also generate income from tourism and have a better distribution of the economic impact. Definitely. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think we've, we've covered most of the important points. I, I, my, my last thing I'd like to leave as a message to everybody, I said, you know, I, I see, I, I'm optimistic for the future. I do believe that we will travel again. I do believe that uh, uh, we will enjoy traveling uh, uh, and in the future, but it will be a slow recovery. Uh, 2021 will be difficult for many of the businesses in the industry. Uh, 2022 will start to get better and moving forward, we'll get even better than that. Uh, but we, we have to prepare ourselves for a slow recovery.